Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Gray Thornton is the current CEO and executive director of the Wild Sheep Foundation. If you trace his history back, he has been in the NGO slash safari slash conservation space for about 30 years. And as such, I wanted to ask him specifically for some inside baseball. Essentially, where does all the money go, Cray? This year, at the virtual Wild Sheep Show, Gray and his team raised over four million. Yes, you heard me correctly. Four million dollars from just the conservation permit tags alone. In total, the Wild Sheep Foundation raised over eight million dollars. So where does all that money go? Here is the answer. So obviously now we're on the right time and uh, I am, uh, you know, it's funny when we have conversations like this that we're about to get started with you on, I think typically people think in the podcast space that, oh, Robbie's going to He's going to ask Gray Thornton all these questions about Gray Thornton, how he grew up hunting. And, and that's not just, that's not who we are. 
that's not what we do. That's not what Blood Origins is about. Right. And so you have a, an insight into a, a phrase that hunters use. And we use it all the time. But I think you have an insight, and that, that's what I want to pick at today. There's this phrase that is, hunting is conservation. Uh. And you hear it all the time. So before yeah. I, I go on any further, Gray, why don't you introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, thank you, Robbie. And, and first, uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, it's, it's really an honor and a privilege. Um, I'm uh, the CEO, uh, President CEO of the Wild Sheep Foundation. Uh, before Wild Sheep Foundation, I was uh, with Safari Club International uh, from 90 to 97. I started as their chapter development coordinator and ended up doing a stint as their uh, administrative director and then moved to Dallas Safari Club, was with them for 11 years as their executive director. And then after 18 years of the Safari Clubs, uh, came to the Sheep Foundation. Um, prior to that, Robbie, I was with uh, Xerox and Unisys after graduating with a business <laughs> degree. So I, you know, I... Uh, and there's some funny stories all about that. And depending on how much time we have, we might, uh, we might, we might get into that. But, um, you know, and, and just as an interesting aside, uh, I did not grow up in a hunting family. Okay. So, um, That's an I, interesting background. It was, it was this was, um, you know, you talk about blood origin for whatever reason. And, and, you know, that, that might be a podcast in itself for, for people that, know that it's in their blood and it, and hunting was in my blood. And, uh, I, but I started late. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't get a, uh, execute on that until after, uh, after I graduated from, uh, from college. So I'm a, I'm a late comer, but have done my best to, uh, to be engaged. Sorry about that. No, it's all good. Now. So yeah, you talk about it's being in your blood. Well, it's technically in your blood. Now you've been in the game for, She's 24 years, Safari Club, Dallas, Wild Sheep. Yeah, now, you know, I hate to admit it, 30 plus years. So, yeah, 12 years at Wild Sheep Foundation, 18 years uh, in the Safari Clubs. So, absolutely incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Well, you know, I think that there's probably no better person to talk about this idea that hunting is conservation and I think it's, it's, it's probably most important in the time that we sit in today, which is the traditional model of banquets, auctions, you know, these getting, getting together, these gatherings of individuals that are passionate hunters that spend a lot of money didn't happen this year. However, you happen to have pulled off a virtual show. Yeah. Gray, how much money did you raise last week? About in eight, tags alone. Oh, in tags alone, four point just just the conservation permits, about four point eight million. So for people that do not understand what a conservation permit is, what is a conservation permit? And you know, this is this is some context to this. Um 
the first conservation permit, and that's what we call it, and, and, and we should also get back to that, that um, maybe nuanced, maybe, maybe a little uh, too simplistic, the hunting is conservation, because, uh, um, you know, hunting is a component of conservation, and we can get more into that. But uh, the first conservation permit, uh, Robbie, was actually the Wyoming governor's tag in 1980. And uh, the then governor of Wyoming gave a Wyoming bighorn sheep tag to FNAWS, the Foundation for North American Wild Sheep, which is our organization. We just changed the name in 2007 to Wild Sheep Foundation to be a little bit more broad. Um, in any event, back then, uh, and, and as is history of bighorn sheep conservation, you know, there's the other, the other adage that we've, we've used too much and probably also nuanced and a little simplistic, you know, if it pays, it stays. Right. You know, we've all heard that one. Right. Well, bottom line, wild sheep, and let's be specific, you know, there's in North America, uh, Canada, U.S., Mexico. There are bighorn sheep and thinhorn sheep. Mm -hmm. And just as you know, to set it somewhat straight and, and somewhat simplistic, because there are subspecies. You know, you've got the Rocky Mountain bighorn and the desert bighorn sheep. Okay. And the thinhorn sheep are the stone sheep and the doll sheep. So okay. the white sheep, the gray sheep the Rocky Mountain bighorn and the desert bighorn. So yeah, and then there's variants and you know, that's, that's a bunch of nuances there. Um, but the bottom line when it comes to bighorn sheep is that um, they didn't pay their way. Uh, there were, and, and, what and do you there's mean, really- they didn't pay their so, way? So here's a deal. There was about, oh, 1 million to 2 million bighorn sheep in North America when Lewis and Clark made their way west in the 1800s, early 1800s, 1800 to 1804, I guess it was, 1805. Um, bighorn sheep were one of the most numerous animals that they came across. And oh, by the way, they taste good. Well, for, for then the next 164 years, um, we shot the hell out of them. Um, we also brought domestic sheep and goats into their range. And we, we shot the hell out of them. Just sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but we shot the hell out of them under no regulations, under not no a regulation. legal hunting, just a, right. a pure slaughter. Right. Up, you know, up until, and again, we know those stories of the, you know, the North American model of wildlife conservation in the 1900s, we'd say. So for a hundred years, we shot the hell out of them. Uh, in the 19, early 1900s under, under Teddy Roosevelt, George Bernard Grinnell, you know, we started to work on a conservation mandate that, you know, hey, we better take care of these guys. But we had another problem when it comes to bighorn sheep, Robbie. We, we had introduced domestic sheep and goats, and those cousins, at least the sheep cousins of a bighorn sheep, uh, had pathogens that uh, which is, you know, the, the, the parallels to COVID-19 are amazing, but right. domestic sheep have a pathogen uh, amongst many that they carry that they are somewhat immune to, but bighorn sheep are not. Uh, mm -hmm. It's called mycoplasma ovin pneumoniae or movi. Mm -hmm. Bottom line mm -hmm. is we, we then by, you know, first over harvest because we just didn't know what the hell we were doing. Yep. Uh, then once we started into a conservation ethic brought about by sportsmen and women, 
Um, we still had a problem with bighorn sheep on that we we brought a a a vector into their environment that killed them. You know, we had all aged diaphs. We didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, but by the 1960s, early 1970s, we'd reduced that number of 1 million to 2 million bighorn sheep to 25,000 in North America. So at that point, that's Canada, you know, again, Canada, Mexico, US. So yep. Southern British Columbia, Alberta, Western United States, and then the Western states of Mexico. Uh, devastating. Um, and when I say, Robbie, that wild sheep didn't pay their way, uh, there weren't enough of them to raise monies uh, in the agencies to make them a priority. Right. There just weren't enough. You know, they were, they were highly sought after, but unlike white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, we just didn't have enough in tag revenue to, to bring about change. So a number of organizations came about. Uh, Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn down in Las Vegas was the first wild sheep advocacy group about 55 years ago. Uh, and they started doing things for, for desert bighorn sheep conservation. Uh, FANAWS, Foundation for North American Wild Sheep, was created in 1977. Uh, and it was, it was brought about by a bunch of sheep hunters, as is typical with our community. Uh, a bunch of sheep hunters came together, uh, like elk hunters and RMEF, and like safari you know, hunters and, and Safari Club International and GameCoin and all those great organizations. You know, we, we, we came together, a small group said, hey, let's do something for this species. The, the, the state, provincial, and tribal agencies don't have the money to uh, restore them. We'll make that money. So FANAS was started, other, other organizations, Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society in Colorado, you know, other, other you know, Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, uh, Society for the Conservation of Bighorn Sheep in Southern California. You know, again, classic sportsman advocacy organization came up. Yeah. And so, you know, in 1980, um, recognizing that um, FANAWS was a group of people that were working to raise money for sheep, wild sheep restoration, the governor of Wyoming gave FANAWS a tag and said, you know what, you guys sell this tag, you keep the money and put it into conservation of bighorn sheep in Wyoming. Uh, well, that, that has now expanded, and it's now expanded into a rather unique uh, funding model. We call it part of the wild sheep economy, but mm -hmm. it's a, a rather unique funding model, Robbie, which I used to call a bastardization, <laughs> interesting enough, of the North American model. You know, you and I know, and, and your listeners know, that you know, the, the North American model of wildlife conservation is is a egalitarian model. Um, we all, you know, in North but everyone can participate in it. Yeah, we Absolutely. all own the wildlife. You exactly. Know, we all the, and, and it's worked. Now, you know, in, in, in Southern Africa, very similar, uh, robust conservation of, of Southern African wildlife. Yeah, it's not egalitarian out. at all. No, but a privatization model. Correct. You know, so, you know, Two, you know, you've got Southern Africa growing wildlife in a privatization model, North America growing wildlife in an egalitarian uh, public ownership model. Exactly. Two, two very diverse 
um, um, processes and, and, and models, but they both worked, which is amazing. So, you know, in, in focusing on the North American model, you know, we all own the wildlife. Uh, we all can participate for a, for the most part, reasonable fee in, in their usage. Um, but then came along this governor's tag concept. And it, it you know, as I said, is it, it expanded and it's now, I mean, Wild Sheep Foundation sells about 32 to 35 of these conservation tags from states, from provinces, from territories, and from tribes or First Nations. Uh, and they bring ridiculous amounts of money. Um, so the 32 to 35 tags that you have right now yeah. are all sheep? No, you know, we, you know, for example, we sold for the first time ever, a Wyoming bison permit. Um, we, we sold that for $35,000, a wow. wild bison permit. We sold the, uh, the pronghorn permit in uh, Didn't that Arizona. go for $80,000? Uh, the Nevada permit went for $27,500. The highest it had gone before is $82,500. Um, we have sold the Arizona pronghorn permit for, for, you know, 80, $85,000. So, um, you know, let's be honest. That's a, that's, that's pretty obnoxious. Yeah. You know, and I'm a regular guy, you yeah. know, I, I, I presume you're a regular guy, you know, I, I mean, I, I work hard and, and I make what I make, but I, you know, there's no way in hell I could spend that kind of money. Yeah. But, you know, let's then go back to that comment I made about the bastardization of the North American model. Um, I, you know, I, I love to give speeches around the country, around the world, and I've, you know, talk about this and try to defend it and, and we can get more into it. But, you know, I'd give a defense of it and, and talk about how it's, you know, how it is brought back, you know, wild sheep populations in particular. Um, and, and it has, I mean, from, from a funding standpoint, 74%, I'll repeat that, Robbie, 74% of all wild sheep agency dollars that fund wild sheep conservation and restoration come from either an auction tag or a raffle tag. Well, wow. pretty amazing. Now, you know, a, a, another little tidbit, 40% comes from one organization and that's wild sheep foundation. So 40% you know, of the 74%. Yes, sir. And so, you know, so there's the significance of it, but still, you know, what happens to this? Wow, that, it doesn't seem egalitarian. You know, it's the rich guy or gal gets the animal. And that's true. You know, that's true. So funny enough, Shane Mahoney, who I know you, you know from yeah. Newfoundland, um, he's a very, very good friend. And we love to drink whiskey and pontificate. <laughs> and, and, and I am, I've got Shane Mahoney in my drift boat. We're floating down the Yellowstone River. And, you know, Shane, every once in a while, will just pull something out of the air and then want to talk about it and d dive deep. And so he goes, you know, Gray, and he's on the, on the bow, I'm row, rowing down the river, <laughs> you know, Gray. He goes, I've heard you many a times in your presentation say that, you know, this, this governor's tag or permit is a bastardization of the North American model. Well, you know, as I'm sure li your listeners know, I mean, Shane Mahoney and Val Geist are the godfathers of the right. North American model. You know, Val 
Val identified it, Shane articulated. So, you know, when Shane Mahoney speaks on the model, you listen. You know? right. So right. I'm exactly. rowing him down the river and I decide not to hit a rock and actually listen to him. And he says, you know, Gray, you're wrong. It is not a bastardization because one of the seven pillars of that model is states and provinces and tribes and agencies can determine the best way to raise money for a resource. Yeah. Went, huh. Well, how that makes sense. You know, that, that, that and I think if you actually flip it on its head to continue what Shane's line of thought really is, if you didn't have those governor tags and auctions, you wouldn't have a wild sheep population today almost at 90,000. I think that's the number you can create mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. which actually means more opportunities for the regular Joe like myself to potentially hunt sheep. Without the money, without the rich guys coming in and saying, I'm gonna pay X, I'm gonna pay Y, that opportunity, that egalitarian opportunity that is the, one of the cores of the North American wildlife model would actually not be present at all for me because there'll be one tag across eight states which yes, technically is still egalitarian, but the chances are one in a hundred thousand. Robbie, you're spot on. So in, in 2014, I took a bighorn sheep in the unlimited area in Montana. In 2014, we did a study of, of Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agency data. And at that time, Montana didn't have a $50 application fee. You know, you could, you applied for the, you know, the hundred and some odd tags that Montana has in a limited draw. Then, you know, Montana, the state I live in, is blessed with, depending on the year, three to five unlimited areas. Uh, it's the only place in the lower 48 you can hunt bighorn sheep over the counter. And it's somewhat of a secret. It shouldn't be. Um, but you know, it's, it is unlimited tag. So you will draw a tag. It's limited quota, kind of like bear sometimes, some, you know, sometimes for a mountain lion, you know, there's two to three tags and you've got to call in or check in to make sure that the quota hasn't been filled and you know that, but interesting enough. So at the time, 2014, Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks brought in about $120,000 in revenue from tags and licenses for the sheep program, $120,000. That wouldn't pay for one biologist and a truck. Correct. In 2013, Wild Sheep Foundation sold the Montana tag for an unheard of and, and not, not not yet equal, although this year we sold it for 440. We sold the Montana bighorn sheep tag for $480,000. So there, there you go. We, you know, we keep 10% of that, Robbie, and you know, I can tell yeah, so you Yeah, so let's dive that into money. that a little bit. So this year, so that was in 2013. This year right. at the virtual sheep show, you sold the Montana bighorn sheep tag. Right which is a general tag across the entire state of Montana, or is it limited wherever you? No, nope. in any, any open unit. Okay. During, during this open season, Montana, 
doesn't allow you either, you know, additional days or extra days. It's the general season for a bighorn sheep, but any unit that is legally open and you okay. can harvest. So you and that a, individual that purchased the tag this year, yes, it cost them $440,000. Correct. And 90% of that tag price goes back to Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks through the Wild Sheep Foundation um, for their bighorn sheep conservation programs. So 395,000 um, plus or minus got right. injected into the pockets of Montana Game and Fish. Right. For, and there is a bighorn sheep program. So that there, there's how they fund their program. Now, Montana also has a raffle tag for us regular guys, and that money will go in there too. Uh, interesting on these, these conservation permits, Robbie, typically it's a 10% um, retention by the selling organization, which are always a, a charitable nonprofit. Um, some tags are, well, there's one tag that's 15%. It's the, it's the um, uh, British Columbia mountain sheep permit. It's good for either. It's a buyer's choice of a stones, a dolls. There's actually a few doll sheep in British Columbia, uh, Columbia or a, a California bighorn or a Rocky mm -hmm. Mountain bighorn. Mm -hmm. Colorado is 25%, although there's an interesting thing there. That tag actually goes to Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society, and then Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society gives it to us. We sell it. This year, we retained 5%. We give 20% to Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society and the 75% the, uh, to Colorado uh, Parks and Wildlife. There are other tags that 100% of the proceeds go to the agency. Nevada, Arizona are two states that 100% go. That's um, on the conservation tags that you yes, sold, 100%. And so that yeah. is that a negotiation between Wild Sheep Foundation and the respective game and fish departments, or what is not, that? Not necessarily. It's typically done by state or provincial statute or law. Um, or, you know, now there could be, if it's not a government body, um, you know, like a state or, or uh, a province or territory, uh, with some First Nations, it is negotiable, uh, but typically they follow as we do the, you know, kind of the 10% model. So when we work with Taos Pueblo, with Navajo Nation, with Kalani First Nation, it's 90% to them. 10% to us, of which, you know, we, we take that money. I mean, we, you know, for the last three years alone, Wild Sheep Foundation with a, with a membership, you know, we, we exceeded 10,000 for the first time in our history at this show, but we, we typically direct about five to $6 million into wild sheep conservation a mm -hmm. year. So, you know, you look at, you look at the, the, the footprint that we have from a membership versus the shadow we cast from a conservation funding, pretty damn significant. So, you know, the, the money, you know, the monies we raise go, you know, grow back into the agency. So let me, let me step back and, and talk about that 2013, 2014 scenario. Mm -hmm. 2014, you know, about 120,000 is driven into uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks by, you know, selling limited entry uh, applications for a tag and the unlimited tags. 120 
you know, thousand bucks. There was no permit that year for a, a bighorn sheep. Like there, there was, but you know, okay. the, the year prior we had sold that tag at auction for 480 yep. in 2014, we sold it for, I think it was 305, 310, something okay. like that, which is somewhat typical. Well, so now you compare the, the tag price, you know, 300, you know, the year prior 480 nuts, 300 and some odd thousand, still amazing versus the 120 they get. Well, I was able as then a Wyoming resident to apply for and get, because you're guaranteed an unlimited tag in Montana. As a non-resident? As a non-resident for 750 bucks. Okay. So now again, I lived in Proc, I was in Cody, I was in proximity to the unit, it was 500 that I was going to hunt and I was in proximity so I could drive there. If, if I showed up in the day that I get into, you know, get into the back country, I find out that the season's closed, you know, no, no harm, no foul, I have to get out and go. Um, but, you know, the point is for 750 bucks, I could go sheep hunting. I mean, I'm guaranteed a tag. I had mm -hmm. a sheep tag in my pocket and I could go sheep hunt. Um, the only reason I, in my view, the only reason, you know, a regular guy like Gray Thornton from Cody, Wyoming at the time could go sheep hunting in Montana is because some crazy guy or gal that same year paid 305,000 for that tag and the prior year, some crazy guy spent 480000 for that tag. So, you know, there's the case where, you know, people of means can donate to their university, to hospitals, to their church. I thank God that there are men and women within our community that want to spend their money in wild sheep restoration. Do they get the benefit? You bet. So sure. what? Sure. So what? I did too. Yeah. You know, I did too. I could go and, and by grace of God and a hell of a lot of luck, I took a 13 and a half year old Ram 25 miles in uh, on a $750 tag yeah. on a do it yourself hunt. Yeah. Well, thank you to the guy that spent a lot of money that I could do it for cheap. So why do you think these guys that are, dropping all of this coin gets such hate. Hmm. And it's almost like this, I think I can answer it very simply. And maybe the answer is very simple. It's just jealousy. Um, and, but it, it, it speaks to a bigger cancer that I think is inside of the hunting community right now, which is this hate that is within us, this hate that is hunter versus hunter hate. Hmm. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I've struggled. I, I think about it every day. I see it every day. And it's, it's articulating just what you just articulated to say, okay, the guy has a lot of money. Let's be thankful he's using and spending his money in the thing that we love to do. You bet. Right. And giving us the opportunities because those populations are increasing. And that means our chances are increasing. Don't yell and scream and hate and, and call him all sorts of names just because the guy can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, 
you know, you're, you're so right, Robbie. I mean, it's, it's jealousy, it's envy, it's class envy. It's, you know, it's all the things that, that is, you know, it's so easy for us to, to look on the other side of the fence and point a finger and throw a stone. And, and again, um, you know, the facts don't bear out the, you know, the, the, the vitriol, because again, the facts are, if it wasn't for that guy or gal, you know, where are we going to come up? Where, you know, where are we going to come up with the other, you know, the 74% that's going to make up for it? Now, you know, states and provinces and, and you know, not so, not so much the tribes, you know, they, they try to equate it. And Montana, I think, does a pretty good job. There is one auction tag and one raffle tag. So, you know, in Montana, the idea is, okay, how many sheep uh, we, tags in total in Montana? About 150, 160, 170 total. Just depends on the year. That's the uh, quota. Wy yes. Wy you know, Wyoming all oh, used to be 250. It's down to about 225. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, so, just, so only you know, two of the 150 in Montana actually right. get raffled off with these big high dollar numbers. Yeah. Either, either raffle, you know, so you can buy a $20 ticket or a 10, you know, whatever, you know, you can raffle or it, you know, the, the, the auction tag that we sell, you know, so the idea there is, okay, if we're going to pull, you know, cause I mean, there's, you know, that you can make the argument that if there's 150 bighorn sheep tags in Montana for the population, and, and this is another interesting tidbit, Typically on wild sheep, it is about one to 2% of the male population that's put on license for a tag. Wildlife professionals will tell you that four to five to 7% is okay. Yeah. And it's sustainable. We are so, so conservative when it comes to wild sheep. Well, and it's not just wild reason. sheep. It's not just wild sheep. That one to 2% model is the classic African model. You're taking 1% of the leopards, 2% of elephants and buffalo. It's a typical right. that is used because, you know, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? We, we, we don't just go out and slaughter. We find that these, these animals that we chase are economic assets. Sure. And as any economist would say, you want your assets to grow. Okay. And as such, you typically would take under the quota, under the carrying capacity, Right. Uh, or the growth capacity, sorry. And uh, you want that population to grow, which is what we're seeing in wild sheep across most ranges in North America. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the, the, the idea on an auction tag and a raffle tag, and, and um, Idaho does the same thing, is, you know, they, wanna, you know, they, they want to make sure, and, and I think this is sound logic, that, okay, if we're going to auction off one tag, we're also going to make sure that for you know, whatever, whatever fee, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, um, the regular gal and guy can get into that too and, and have this exact same opportunity, you know, and if that tag gives you the opportunity to hunt in any, you know, for example, in Montana, any, any unit that's open, uh, so will the raffle tag. Mm -hmm. So, um, Wyoming's a little interesting. They do five tags on, uh, on auction and, and then they've got, then they've got super tags, they've got commissioner tags and the like, but you know, you know, each state, each state can, can manage their wildlife, thankfully. 
part of the North American model as they see fit and raise the monies that best support the wildlife as they see fit. How much do you think goes into Wyoming? I'm just going to generalize Wyoming game and fish coffers from those five tags specifically for sheep. Um, a, a little over a half million dollars. Um, because, you know, we, we sold the tag this year for 120, you know, interesting enough, those used to sell for 50 then 60, then they kind of, you know, they kind of increased and that's an interesting dynamic there. And they're a bighorn, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. Rocky mountain bighorn. Um, and Wyoming is unique. They've done a very good job. They created the Wyoming, uh, Wyoming Go governor's license coalition. So that money goes into a special fund. And it is, it is the, there's, there's an elk license, there's a pronghorn license, uh, there's a bison, you know, there's bison license, moose license, and bighorn sheep license. That goes into a particular fund. And then there's a coalition of uh, advocates. Uh, the Wyoming Wild Sheep Foundation, our chapter there, sits on that board. Uh, and then they dictate, Robbie, where those monies go. And, it, and it has to be to a uh, conservation program. So here's kind of interesting in Wyoming. So you get five tags, let's say the average is a hundred thousand dollars. So there's uh -huh. a half a million dollars. Well, very often um, there is more wild sheep dollars in the Wyoming governor's license coalition, coalition than there is say mule deer or moose or pronghorn. And so there's, it's very often that this group comes together and there's Mule Deer Foundation, Wild Sheep Foundation, Moose Federation, you know, all the, all the critter groups. And they sit around a table and they kind of discuss the projects and there, there can be bargaining. You know, there can be, hey, look, and there's a, you know, there's a member from Wyoming Game and Fish. Well, it is politics, there. right? But it yeah, but there could be, hey, look, you know, there's a really <laughs> good, you know, there's a really good moose project and moose are, you know, have been hammered for whatever reason, whether it's mites in their ears, whether it's, you know, um, you know, you know, who, who, you know, fires in Yellowstone or wolves, uh, we need some dollars for moose and the moose tags didn't bring enough. Can we use some from the, from the sheep tags? And, and very often the, the sheep tags will end up funding some moose projects or mm. pronghorn projects. Mm. And it could certainly be vice versa. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's an interesting dynamic. It's an interesting economy, but you know, it, it, you know, there it is. There's your example of hunting is conservation, um, and and there is your you know the adage of if it pays it stays. So you know those are examples, and that's where you know getting back to the very beginning of our conversation, you know, it's very simple for us to just say hunting is conservation. Well, tell me why. Exactly. Show me. Right. Yes. Where's the proof? Where's exactly. the proof that hunting is conservation? Well, if you actually want to know about it, here you just, go. Just rewind about 25 minutes and just re-listen <laughs> to what we just said for 25 yeah. minutes. Yeah, for sure. No, Gray. Um, that's why I wanted to talk to you, man. I wanted to, you know, a lot of people don't get to, to see the inside baseball, right? They just see these big dollar tickets. They see these big dollar permits going off and, I'm big, I'm, you know, obviously I'm big friends with John Bear and he's been on Blood Origins before oh. and I watch him auction off the 440. I watched it virtually and, you know, everyone went crazy about it and people are like, well, again, that's just a rich guy being able to pay 440 and then you're like, well, let's, let's break that down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
sheep takes 10%. That makes sense. People are going to go, well, why does the Wild Sheep Foundation need 10%? Because they have to survive, right? You, you have to pay people. You have to do the work. You have to, you have to do all the things that make you the Wild Sheep Foundation to keep doing what you do. Let's, let's be honest, right? Right. And, and, you know, another just an interesting tidbit. There's been a, about... Oh, 123, 124,000 bighorn sheep translocated um, in the past 90 years in about 1,400 or so actions. Uh, I challenge, this was also back in 2014, I challenged um, our, our vice president of conservation, a guy named Kevin Hurley. He, he was the bighorn sheep guy for Wyoming Game and Fish for 30 years. Um, and I said, you know what, Kevin, tell me what it costs to trap, do the vet stuff, and this is mm -hmm. a helicopter trap, then put a GPS collar on a bighorn sheep. Uh, Robbie, it was 4,700 bucks. Mm -hmm. 4,700 bucks. Now, that was 2014 when a GPS collar was, you know, $1,700, $1,800. So they, they've come down in price. But, you know, again, you know, $5,000 just rounding up 300 bucks, $5,000 to move one sheep. Yep. And how bighorn sheep have been increased threefold from the 25,000 in late 1960s, early 1970s to 85,000 today is these trap and translocations. Yep. You know, taking, taking sheep from one location where we have a surplus and moving them into places they were extirpated. Um, what is really exciting in Montana, we have finally, after about 20 years of no real translocations, we just, just before sheep week, um, we, with a great number of partners, Montana Wild Sheep Foundation, Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, um, uh, SCI, Great Falls Chapter, uh, Kuyu, mm -hmm. I think Montana Bowhunters, um, moved 50 sheep from a unit um, in the Missouri River Breaks back into the Little Belt Mountains, which are north of, north of Bozeman, a little south. I guess, they're, I guess they're a little north of Helena. Um, they haven't been there in 50, 60, 70 years. So, you know, incredible. Andre, are you sure you didn't miss the Humane Society, the Defenders for Wildlife, PETA? They didn't, they, I'm sure they sent you money, right, to move those sheep. Jeez, Robbie, I'm trying to, I'm trying to scratch my head and see, you know, hell no, you know, hell no. Oh, there's, yeah, there's, there's men and women in the arena. And then there's those that sit on the sidelines and criticize those that are in the arena. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. HSUS PETA and those, you know, a lot, a lot of blow hard and do nothing. Yeah. But yeah, that's another podcast. Well, I think that's the key, right? Is that, Hunters are doers, man. You know, it, it, they, they do with their wallets. They do with their hands. They are the champions behind wildlife proliferating in the United States. And it's just a matter of as, as coming back to full circle. Hunting is conservation. And we have to prove it, right? We have to prove because the perception is that, you know, we're not, we, we just like to kill things. But just proving it very simply. Hey, this is where the money went. Hey, look here, look at this population. We never had a population here. We haven't had one for 60 years. By the way, we just moved 50 right. into, these, into these little mountains. Why did we do that? 
Oh, because we want more wildlife. Okay, wow. Hmm, didn't really know that about hunters. Wow, yeah. you guys are actual conservationists. Yeah, for sure. Nevada and I'm preaching is, to the choir, obviously. You know, of, of course, but, but you know, Nevada is an interesting one. You know, Nevada had a remnant population. What does remnant mean? Well, less than a thousand bighorn and desert bighorn sheep, primarily desert, but you know, bighorn and, de and desert bighorn sheep in the state in the 1960s. Right now, Nevada has more bighorn sheep. They've got California, Rocky, and desert. I mean, desert, they have about 11,000. They have more bighorn sheep than any other state uh, in the union. And, and so you look at from the 1960s, 70s, so let's just say 1970s to today, from less than 1,000 bighorn sheep to about 13,000, Nevada Parks and Wildlife, Division of Wildlife is giving desert bighorn sheep to Utah. Um, you know, they, you know, they're, they're now to a point that, you know, okay, where else can we put sheep? I mean, they've done an absolute phenomenal job. And, and the, the, you know, the source was sweat and blood by volunteers building guzzlers in the desert yep. and translocations. And it's all funded by sportsmen and women. So, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of, you know, I mean, we, you know, we talk about the unendangered species when I was with SCI back in the nineties, you know, we talked about it and, you know, how elk came back and mule deer or, you know, not so much mule deer, they're, they're challenged, but white-tailed deer and, and pronghorn and wild turkey and ducks and, well, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of reasons for that, you know, it is without a doubt, you know, the sportsman dollar that made it happen. But I can tell you, Robbie, unequivocally, that wild sheep restoration would not have happened in this country or in Mexico or in Canada if it wasn't for hunters, period. It just wouldn't have happened. Well, I think that's a great place to stop right there, Gray, because there's not much more to say, right? Hunters are, are the champions of wildlife. And I just wanted from everyone that's listening to this, the three people that listen to this, um, <laughs> just want to say thank you to you, man. Um, I don't know if you remember when I met you, I met you for the first time in 2017, Jake Latondra stopped you at the Wild Sheep Show and introduced you to me. Ah, that's and at right. the time we were, and we still are a very small fish. At the time I was peddling my wares. I was peddling this idea of how do we show the heart of hunting? How do we show right. the heart of, of hunters? And it was my first wild sheep show and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, yeah, we've come a long way since then. And uh, I can't wait to see what's next. So I just want to, from us, from me, from our community, I want to say thank you to you and all the things that you've done for us and my kids and my grandkids one day, because they're going to be able to hunt sheep have the opportunity, the egalitarian opportunity to hunt sheep because of the efforts that you're putting in. So, well, thank uh, you. Ab absolute pleasure. And from our side, Robbie, thank you for the opportunity to, to share our story. No, my pleasure. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.